0: Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Ben from Revelio Labs. Ben, it's really nice to have you on. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Excited for today's discussion. Ben, to kick us off, can you tell me a bit about yourself, who you are, and what you're up to, and as well as your company, and what you guys are doing? sure
1: yeah i got started as an academic economist i had done a phd in economics i specialized in labor economics which was really interesting and studied things like social mobility and occupational transformation things like that and then went to work at ibm where i was in a group that was called the chief analytics office which was an internal data science consulting group but then we you know eventually took on more leadership role there in a specific sub-team, which was dedicated to workforce analytics. And so tried to help IBM optimize their own workforce using basically internal HR data. And it was there that it kind of got the idea for Revelio Labs. And Revelio Labs, basically the idea behind Revelio Labs is to construct something like a universal HR database. Hmm. So without HR data coming from a single company, it is really sourced from the public web. There's online profiles, there's sentiment ratings, there's job postings, there's all these things that kind of together can reconstruct the HR database for every company. So what we're trying to put together is this this comprehensive view of the workforce of every company, even if you're not affiliated with those companies, and then and then host it in, in something like a Bloomberg terminal, but instead of for financial market data, it's workforce data.
0: I love it. It's an awesome story too, like how you got to this place and found this and. How's it been going so far? You guys, what kind of customers do you have? What does all that look like? I'd love to hear.
1: Yeah, it's been quite an adventure. So we started in 2018 and we found our first customers in early 2019. So not that long ago. And I think initially our main goal, our vision was really to increase the sophistication of labor markets. To try to make, try to help HR become more advanced, more sophisticated, more rigorous And we really thought we'd be helping HR departments, but we found pretty early on that there was an immediate appetite in investment management. Um, Because people who work at these funds, like hedge funds or private equity firms, they are in the business of understanding companies that they don't have an affiliation to. So that's the name of the game. If they can understand the inner workings of companies without accessing their internal data that's locked up, then that's tremendously valuable for them. So it, so that was a really early set of set of clients and and that was just a great incubation space for us. I think people in investment management are super super particular about data quality. Everything's got to be point in time and there's a pretty low tolerance for error. And so that was a good space to to get in some early revenue and craft our product to make sure our data was super sharp. And that's where that's probably about half our clients today. And now we're selling a lot more into other markets, consulting firms, staffing firms, HR departments within big companies, governments, academic departments, and universities. So the clients, I'd say, are pretty diverse, but the data is the same. With this core data set and and dashboard that we have, the use cases are unlimited. Perfectly fine with us.
0: Yeah. So yeah. what does that growth strategy look like from adopting those early customers or finding the product, expanding it. What's that journey looked like?
1: Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, I think we're always figuring it out. We're always trying to reinvent our growth strategy little by little. But I think our belief is that once we have a really good foundational set of products and tools to, to access this type of information, then the users can just expand and expand. When we first started, Part of the reason why investment management firms like hedge funds were attractive was that they could take in a terabyte of data with no issues. But when you start selling to maybe less sophisticated users who don't have teams of data scientists or data analysts at their disposal, the data has to become more accessible. There have to be more tools, more visualization, more point-and-click types of experiences. And so we've been building a lot of those. And have made good progress, I think there's always further to go, but the hope is that anyone, even someone looking for what career to pursue, can can find some information about what are the details in the labor market that that they want to research. And so it could be a research tool for anyone. It could be individuals, could be HR departments, strategy groups, you name it. So, so we want to be a little bit agnostic to who ends up using it and just think at the end of the day, we want good, clean data and yeah. And that should be the
0: job. Absolutely. Have there yeah. been any major lessons learned as you've been growing, expanding, all that stuff?
1: Oh, tons! Yeah, lessons learned. I would say one of the one of the lessons early on was how important data engineering is. I think I came in as a data scientist who was all enamored by fancy models. And we were doing a lot of large language modeling before it got, and now it's everywhere, but the early iterations of large language models and how to construct taxonomies and was really excited by that. And I, I still think that's really exciting, but just the data pipelines, how we get data to be queried in a super fast kind of way, how we like enable flexibility is a whole other, a whole other field that, that we, I think, neglected early on. And are now coming back and like really fine-tuning that and optimizing that. And it's just so exciting what kind of potential that untaps. We started doing a lot more content marketing and working with the media just to find labor market insights. And that's been very exciting for us too. I think if I could do it again, I would have started that earlier. There's all sorts of things that we're doing now that we should have done before. And things that I'm sure we'll do more of in the future that we don't know today. That's always evolving.
0: I love that. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Obviously, you're a subject matter expert in this space and have a lot to share content-wise. What does that marketing look like, creating content, joining podcasts like this all? Right, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a real evolution. I think initially, so I mentioned we, we started selling our data and our dashboard and APIs in, in January 2019. Then we were going to a lot of conferences and that was how we closed deals. In March 2020, big pandemic, and uh, the conference circuit was dead. So we basically thought, how are we going to find potential clients without going to in-person conferences? And then we, so we had this idea to to publish a weekly newsletter. And so it started as something that my co-founder and I would do on a Sunday afternoon and just find some, some charts that we thought were interesting and yeah, and just put it out there. And then it started getting more and more interesting. So we hired a couple of economists to join the team and help us make these more interesting. And, and so we started doing these weekly newsletters and we would flesh them out and get them to be a little bit more novel, a little more interesting. And now they're in much better shape. But somewhere along this journey, it must have been, I don't know, maybe like a year later, um, a year after we started, so maybe like early 2021, we started getting a lot of interest from journalists. Some of them would reach out to us and say, hey, I saw this article you did about how big tech companies are laying off this and that or whatever, whatever we happen to have written about. And they, they just wanted to, to see if they can use that data in their, in their articles. And that was great. As soon as we got into some publications like Bloomberg, Business Insider, Wall Street Journal, et cetera, we would get a lot more inbound inquiries to our site. And that became how we started getting leads. So that was just so useful for us. And now today, I think media has evolved a little bit in that labor markets are so hot right now. And all these publications have have specific writers dedicated to the future of work or workforce issues or labor markets or something. So there's a lot of writers who specialize in these topics. And now I think we all know each other and that's a bit of a small world. So now we're We're always referenced when people are talking about labor markets. And I think that does a lot of, that helps us a lot. Yeah. Another thing I would say is that I think in the beginning when we started, it felt if a journalist was working with us, they were helping us out and doing us a favor. We would have to like do quite a bit of work to make it up to them and help and everything. And now it, it still feels that way. Like we're still helping them out, but it also feels like we're helping them do their job too. Because they're always looking for another angle, some more data, some more information. So I think that relationship has gotten really, it's just a good relationship now. Because I think they appreciate it as much as we do now.
0: Absolutely. What's one thing you wish you would have known before you first became a CEO that you know now?
1: I think one thing that I think I knew but didn't, it's hard for that to sink in, is just how much of an obsession this company has to be. I think even before starting a company, I'm sure everyone who has an idea for how to start a company gets obsessed. They think about it at night and when they're on walks, wherever. People think about their idea all the time, but it just gets a little more real when you have a team. And when that team gets bigger, you got a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of people who are counting on you, and a lot of people who are really trying to make something special. And that is so dependent on you as an entrepreneur. You know, what you do can really affect how people, whether people succeed in their own dreams and ambitions. So I think it just gets really real. Every decision is important. And and I think stepping away mentally is just not really on the table.
0: Absolutely. It's like all consuming. You're all in and it certainly isn't for everybody. I'm an entrepreneur myself too. And I know what you mean. Like you're always thinking about it, the team, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think that's actually a distinct issue from working a lot. I think being obsessed with something doesn't really ne- mean that you need to like sleep at the office and work 100 hour weeks. I-, I think that's not really that you can still have a you know, family and weekends and all that. It's, it really, you need to be able to manage your own time, but also, while well, not making any cuts in terms of ways that people count on you.
0: Absolutely. So if you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice what would that be?
1: I think it would be around bringing in the team early. I think I think when my co-founder and I started this, we had worked together before in the past we were really close and I think had such a good working relationship and then as we started in bringing in people, we before we we really had much commercial success, we were really constrained. Our budgets were very constrained. So we brought on people part-time and interns and things like that. And I think if we had found someone earlier to be another co-founder with us, I think that would have been really valuable. It's really hard to do that though, because we wouldn't have known how they would be. I don't know. I would, my my advice would be to try to do that, but it might've not succeeded even with the benefit of hindsight.
0: Yeah, it's all in- as we wrap up, one piece of advice for your industry as a whole, what would that be and what do you have to say to maybe your customers out there, folks in this space?
1: I think this industry is such an exciting one really because it is not really where it needs to be. So I would say HR in general is, ha, has got a long way to go before it gets really rigorous and sophisticated. And I don't think anyone would really deny that but i do think some people at some points just throw up their hands and they're like all right this is just the way it is and this isn't gonna this isn't finance or this isn't marketing this is like more of a soft field and i think that's i really think that's wrong i think this field has every potential to be as as rigorous as finance or other fields and i think there's gaps of course we're trying to we're trying to make sure that the data is all shared and in order and ubiquitous and all that and that's one gap but there's also there's skill gaps, there's, there's a lot of rigid processes that, that I think are, are probably need to be revisited. I, I think there's a lot there's a lot of ways to improve this field. And I think there are some people who are so excited about that. There really is a lot of excitement and optimism, but not enough, never enough. So I think possibly it's early days in, in kind of the birth of human capital as a science. But I just think it's so exciting. Two-thirds of what companies spend money on is people. And there's not a lot of rigor in how that gets allocated or how that even gets determined. So there's just, I think this could be like a a multi-trillion dollar industry. And we're just like really early days in, in, in thinking through how to make this big.
0: Absolutely. Totally. Ben, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for sharing all your wisdom and insights here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.